Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Private Library Podcast. Today we are reading from Philosophy for Dummies. Now, I know this isn't exactly old or obscure, but I would like to move into some more philosophical books and uh, some some deeper thoughts into the future in general. And uh, I think this will give us a good informational base as to... Uh, to move forward so that we kind of know what we're talking about for me and for you guys. So uh, this we're just going to kind of jump around through this book. Today we're just reading chapter one. It's basically all about what philosophy isn't and then uh, what it actually is. Philosophy, it's been, there's many misconceptions about what it is. You might have some preconceived notions that we're going to go over and what, we're going to find out why those might not be true and... Um, what philosophy really is and why it's so great. I've been getting into it recently. I've been really just it's 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 really uh intriguing to read and get into these these people that lived thousands of years ago and they have the same kind of questions and thoughts that you find yourself having. It's very interesting. It's it's an important part of the human experience, I think. So um without further ado, let's get right into it. No matter where you are or where you're listening from, you're in the library now. Thanks for stopping by. There may be no intellectual activity more misunderstood and wrongly maligned as philosophy. The great American historian Henry Adams once characterized the entire endeavor as consisting of nothing more than, quote, unintelligible answers to insoluble problems. As far back as the 16th century, the prominent French essayist Michel de Montaigne proclaimed that philosophy is doubt. And, of course, who enjoys doubt? It's often uncomfortable. It can even be scary. The 19th century philosophical wild man Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche, geez, I'm terrible, took it one more step and characterized philosophy as an explosive in the presence of which everything is in danger. So then, it really comes as no surprise that Nietzsche's predecessor, the English poet John Keats, worry about all the questions and doubts encouraged by philosophers and ask, do not all charms fly at the mere touch of cold philosophy? In ancient times, the Roman statesman and author Cicero even complained, there is nothing so absurd that it hasn't been said by some philosopher. Of course, he too was some philosopher. But then there are many other very smart and even truly wise people who adopt the label of philosopher with pride. It may be revelatory to understand them and how we and how they see their distinctive activity of the mind. In seventeen o seven, Jonathan Swift wrote the following comment The various opinions of philosophers have scattered through the world as many plagues of the mind as Pandora's box did those of the body only with this difference, that they have not left hope at the bottom. So, throughout history, it's clear that there's been philosophers and then people that oppose philosophy. Oftentimes, they they, off, they are also philosophers in a way, but um, it, it's often seen as just a bunch of depressed people. Uh, uh, people just spinning their wheels and uh, going deeper and farther down into not understanding 
The following quotes show what some prominent individuals have had to say about philosophy and philosophers, largely because they misunderstood the enterprise of what it aims to accomplish. It will help to hear this crowd of critics in order to get beyond their misapprehensions and dive deep into what philosophy really is. Philosophy is such an impertinently litigious lady that a man had as good be engaged in lawsuits as have to do with her. Sir Isaac Newton Wonder is the foundation of all philosophy. Inquiry the progress, ignorance the end. Montaigne Philosophy consists largely of one philosopher arguing that all others are jackasses. He usually proves it, and I should add that he also usually proves that he is one himself. H. L. Mencken If I wished to punish a province, I would have it gov governed by philosophers. Frederick the Great There is only one thing that a philosopher can be relied on to do, and that is to contradict other philosophers. William James when he who hears doesn't know what he who speaks means, and when he who speaks doesn't know what he himself means, that is philosophy. Voltaire There is nothing so strange and so unbelievable that it has not been said by one philosopher or the other. Descartes, the strange and unbelievable father of modern philosophy. So what's the deal here? Philosophy, done right, should be the opposite of all this gloom and doom. It should be stimulating, exciting, liberating, provocative, revelatory, revelatory illuminating, helpful, and fun. I can, uh, I can definitely relate to that. I remember one time, me and my buds, me and uh, my friend and his older brother, we went out to the beach, and it was very cold and rainy, and we, we were going to try to skimboard and swim, but it was just freezing, man, so we just, we couldn't, it was, it was too much, too much to handle, so we decided instead to try sneak into a condo and see if we couldn't get in a hot tub, and long story short, after a failed attempt, we find one we get into, and we ended up spending a few hours just sitting in this hot tub, talking about life, Re really what we were doing was philosophizing, you know, we're just asking questions to each other, pondering things, being introspective, trying to figure out uh, just how the world works. I, I mean, everyone does that. Everyone philosophizes, whether they know it or not. And, uh, I mean, sure, sometimes you might just end up with more questions, but as we'll find out uh, a little later in this chapter, sometimes having more questions might be a good thing. You might not need all the answers. But, um, let's continue. I've actually met a few exceedingly peculiar social myth misfits who seem to be fish out of water in ordinary life, and whose only discernible accomplishment appears to be an academic doctoral degree in philosophy from a major university, along with, perhaps, several unintelligible publications bearing their names and, unfortunately, a teaching position that places them as ambassadors of philosophy in front of classrooms full of bewildered and yet sometimes bemused undergraduates. But things are not always what they seem. As the ancient poet Cassilius Statius once reminded us, quote, There is often wisdom under a shabby cloak. 
The enterprise of philosophy itself, philosophy as a genuine human activity, can and should be great, not to mention the fact that philosophers can be our friends. They often enjoy being taken out to dinner or for a celebratory libation or two. On this topic, I should perhaps quote the great poet John Milton, who wrote, How charming is divine philosophy, not harsh and crabbed as dull fools suppose, but musical as is Apollo's lute, and a perpetual feast of nectared sweets, where no cruel surfeit reigns. In other words, good stuff. You know, that is so true, man. When I, when I was in that hot tub with my friends, like, that is... It's fun. It's exciting. And it is peaceful when you can, when you do maybe just figure something out in a very small way. Just get a, another little grasp on the, just even if it's just a little fingernail size of, uh, of your reality. But it, it's amazing when you can start understanding the book says, The same Cicero who loudly voiced, loudly voiced his irritation at bad philosophers didn't shrink from praising a good one. He once described Socrates as the first man to bring philosophy into the marketplace. In many ways, it's the example of Socrates that will be followed in this book. Philosophy can be brought back into the marketplace of ideas that are seriously contending for your attention. Some pretty lofty ideas can be pulled down to earth and examined for their amazing relevance to our day-to-day -day lives. The goal in this book is to help you get clearer on some of the issues that matter the most, but that you may ordinarily tend to think about the least. I hope that together we can be explorers of the Spirit, charting our way forward in new depths of awareness as we go. We take a close look at some exciting ideas, quite a few amazing questions, and several new perspectives for everything we think and do. We can't nail down a definitive answer for every question that may arise, but if you stick with me for the duration, you're likely to find yourself making more progress in, appreci in appreciating and understanding these topics than you may at first imagine. It might sometimes I might sometimes ask some strange-sounding strange sounding questions, but I promise you that as soon as you consider the answers, those queries can help you attain some pretty amazing perspectives in this life that we are living. Our goal throughout is nothing less than a quest for wisdom itself, and that's a vitally important matter, since, as the American philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson realized, quote, Life is a festival only to the wise. The only way to truly appreciate the world around you is to ponder it and understand it. We're about to hear what Socrates has to say about that, and uh, it's probably the most profound thing that we're going to hear in, the, in this first episode. The original public philosopher, Socrates, liked to walk the streets and go to parties along the way engaging anyone he could in philosophical philosophical dialogue. For him, philosophy was not a dry intellectual subject, a game for pendants and scholars, but a requirement for living well. He even famously proclaimed the following axiom, and remember this, the unexamined life is not worth living. Hmm. Is that true? If you're listening on something you can comment on, you should comment your thoughts on that. Because, I mean, that's not 
that's just something a man said. It's not set in stone. It's not a. Uh, it's not scripture. It's just. It's just a thought. But I, I think it's. You can gnaw on that one for a long time. We're about to. Uh, we're about to read some different interpretations of what that might mean, and it's going to get pretty thick in here. So uh, strap in tight. But it's very, very riveting because if you can figure out whether or not you want to live an examined life. I think that it's very very important to be uh, conscious of that. If you can figure that out, well, I don't know. But I would imagine something great would happen, would it not? Everyone knows what it means to say, this car is worth $80,000, or this shirt isn't worth $150, or... The tickets to this concert aren't worth $125 each. But what exactly does it mean to say about a certain form of life, a particular lifestyle, what Socrates is calling the unexamined life, that it's not worth living? Essentially, an item is worth what it costs if the value or benefits that you derive from it are equal or greater than the price you pay for it which is ultimately the same value as the underlying effort or energy that you put into obtaining the resources required to pay the price. Whenever I think about making a certain purchase, I always ask myself whether the item is truly worth the asking price. Is it worth the amount of money? Is it worth the work it took for me to earn that amount? A pair of shoes that a wealthy individual could see as, quote, a very good deal might be perceived by a person of more modest means as far too extravagantly expensive. The less well-off shopper may, may need to work far too hard or too long to earn that amount of money. He may then, sorry, then conclude that the shoes aren't worth the cost. But how exactly does this commonplace sort of judgment relate to Socrates' famous claim? What is the cost or worth of this unexamined life? Well, first we need to understand what Socrates means by this phrase. What is the unexamined life? Unfortunately, it's the form of life far too many people live. Getting up, dressing, eating, going to work, breaking for lunch, working some more, going home, eating again, watching TV, leafing through magazines, or endlessly scrolling through social media. If you still read magazines, you are a maniac. Exchanging a few a few words with family members or friends on the phone, bathing, changing for bed, checking messages again, and falling asleep, just to repeat the same routine over and over and over, without ever thinking about what it all means or how life should really be lived. So really, the unexamined life is... I mean, I don't think I've ever lived an unexamined life. I think that's why I'm so drawn to philosophy, and that's why I want to do this series. My whole life, I've been examining things. And there is merit, there's certainly merit to the idea that that'll just, that can kind of cause you to go crazy in a sense. It's definitely a source of a lot of my anxiety, and just feeling bad in general. No editing on this podcast. But I 
I do know a lot of people, and it seems like they live an unexamined life. And I think I think that's that's what uh, that's what makes me connect with people when I can tell that they also examine their life in the way that I do. I think that's what makes me good friends with the people I'm good friends with. They're able to look at things the same way I am. It, it is... But to that same note, I've lived a very examined life, and I don't think it's got me any farther than someone that lives an unexamined life. There's the common thing, like Kurt Cobain, he always talked about being... He wished he would... He wished he wasn't aware of how stupid the rat race was. He wished he could have just worked a nine-to-five and been a normal guy. There is something beautiful to just being a complete numbskull. I'm kind of writing a joke about that right now, how, like, some people just, they basically, like, I won't give my joke away, but basically the premise is partially that some people just, they're so, they're just empty, they're vapid. A lot of times you would think they're a dud, but really they're happier than you'll ever be because they just, they don't think about things. I think there is merit to the idea that if you're just, if you're just thoughtless, like, that, you might truly be happier than if you're really examining things. But once you have, it's kind of like when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, I think, once you have the ability to examine your life, there's no going back. You can't unexamine yourself. So the only way to make it to the other side is through. We wake up already in motion in this life. The raft is out on the river, and the current simply carries us forward. Habit and the demands of others tend to eat up the day. When we're young, other people decide what we wear, what we eat, and when we play. All too often, even after we're older, other people still decide what we do during the day. We make choices, lots of them, but often from a limited selection of options that our environment, friends, families, employers, and simple routine together present to us. Rarely, if ever, do we stop to reflect on what we truly want in the world, and so on what's really right for us. And that is the unexamined life, the life that is lived at some level almost as a cosmic sleepwalker, som- somnoblating never seen that word. Somnambulating. How did I miss that? I've read this chapter a million times. Away the hours, days, and years. It's a life that is experienced on automatic pilot. A life based on values and beliefs that we've never really looked at, never really tested, and never examined for ourselves. Many many people seem to fear self-examination, as if to look at it, and evaluating their most basic beliefs and values is somehow a threat. But a philosophically reflective examination of our most basic assumptions and commitments doesn't necessarily have a corrosive effect. It may have a purifying and empowering impact. The fundamental goal of philosophical examination isn't criticism in a negative sense, or any sort of rejection or abandonment of ideas or beliefs. This is something I can relate to coming from a Christian household and growing up religious. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of, a mistake I think a lot of Christians make is when uh, a new Christian, especially a young person, they might have questions 
about logically or philosophically really because at the end of the day that's all philosophy is but logically and philosophically how theological and religious things work and a lot of a lot of people they'll just shut that down and and get angry and be like don't test god don't question god i think a fair evaluation of god is good because you'll come to the conclusion that yeah there probably is a god and he probably loves us all I think you can easily come to that conclusion philosophically. And if you can't do that as a Christian, why the hell are you a Christian? Really, if you can't logically understand why Jesus loves you and why there's a God, then why the hell are you a Christian? Why are you religious at all? If you can't explain to a child why, why, how your God works... Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theological minds of all time. That's one of his classic quotes is if you can't, uh, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase it, obviously, but if you can't explain an idea to a child, then it doesn't, it, it's not ready. It doesn't have enough merit. It doesn't make, an, if you can't make it make sense to a kid, then it doesn't, it shouldn't, it isn't real. It's not valid, basically. And I think that's important. You shouldn't you shouldn't be scared to evaluate if what you're doing is right. Because if it's truly right, you will come to the conclusion that it's correct. And if you're not doing the right thing, and if your beliefs are wrong, you shouldn't lie to yourself. That's a I think that's a that's something I talk about a lot on this podcast is being true to yourself and true to other people and just. Being honest, you know, I'm honest a lot on this podcast. Let's continue. And you pay a big price for living such a life. Socrates identifies the price or the cost when he states that this form of life, the unexamined life, is not worth what you have to pay for it. When he, in fact, plainly says that this form of life simply is not worth living. The living itself, the spending of those precious hours, days, weeks, and years that you have is too high a cost to pay for an unexamined life. The price that you pay for an unexamined life, therefore, is precisely that, your entire life. And you can pay no greater price for anything. Notice, however, that Socrates didn't say that the unexamined life is not worth anything. He wisely left open the viewpoint that some positive value exists in any life, however unreflective that life may be. This great thinker said that only the unexamined life isn't worth the high price that you must pay for it. The investment of all your time and energies in a direction that's not of your own careful and wise choosing. Philosophy, on the other hand, as an activity of reflection giving rise to a wiser way of life, involves investing your life energies into something that may prove worth the cost. But it's not easy. The activity of self-examination and developing the self-knowledge that results from it can be quite hard. The great novelist Cervantes once acknowledged this in an extreme though accurate way when he advised, quote, Make it your business to know yourself, which is the most difficult lesson in the world. Pondering this, you might of course also begin to wonder whether the examined life is in the end itself guaranteed to be worth living. And the truth is that Socrates never actually said so. His statement about the unexamined life does, not, does seem to imply, by contrast, such a conviction. 
But the wise philosopher left us to draw that ultimate conclusion on our own, precisely by examining ourselves and our own lives. I think you could argue either way on the question of whether or not it's it's worth living an unexamined life. Personally, I would have to say, if you can, in a good conscience, live an unexamined life, if you if you can never really understand what it means to examine a life, then I guess go for it. You might be happier just being a mindless idiot. No offense. I mean, if you're hearing this, if you're hearing this, I doubt that you, uh, you don't know, you don't examine your life and you don't know how, so you probably should live an examined life. Examine it carefully. If there's even a little thought in your mind of, that fear of not examining your life, then then you probably should. If you made it to the end of this podcast, if you were intrigued enough by this line of questioning, then, then you probably should live an examined life. Because if not, I think that that'll be your ultimate regret. I think it'll be my ultimate regret if I get to the end and realize I never stopped and and tried to understand what was going on at least a little bit. Let me leave you with something. The famous novelist James Thurber once said, It is better to ask some of the questions than to know all of the answers. Asking the right questions and living with them can enhance our lives. And I have to agree. If you don't agree, you should uh, reach out, DM me, Let me know. Give me your thoughts on this, and uh, I'll bring it up on the next episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I love you very much. If you made it this far, you're a legend. Uh, Take care. Love you.